Welcome to the JRM Sydney Podcast. This month, we are exploring a new series we call Mountains, Rivers, Gardens and Deserts. Let's hike, swim, stroll and track the vastness of the Bible's topography and discover its rich meaning for our lives. Don't forget to share this podcast and visit our Facebook page and website at jrmsydney.com. We pray that this episode will bless and empower you. Enjoy the message and God bless you. It is a passing thing. 
And uh, then we talked about mountains and then rivers. We talked about the refreshing, healing, and uh, you know, uh, invigorating power of the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about the gardens last week where everything is blossoming and the garden involves flowers and fruits and all that. Um, uh, we can't always have, you know, somehow that mountaintop experience, you know, in our lives. Sometimes we do find ourselves in what we call the desert seasons of our lives. Amen? So are you ready, church? Pens out, Bibles out, your notebooks out. Um, I believe God is going to speak and say something really, really important. And I do believe it's in my heart that He will minister, especially to those of you joining us on this service who might be feeling that the intensity of the desert season is just really difficult. I do believe today God is going to really reinvigorate you and encourage you. So don't miss a thing. Amen? Amen? Can we just bow down our heads and close our eyes for a bit as we entrust this day unto the Lord. Father, we give this moment unto you. I pray that you will captivate our hearts. You will captivate our minds. The enemy would want us to think of many other things. What we're going to do later, what we're going to cook, what we're going to buy. Or... But Lord, today, capture us. I pray that you will speak to us in a very personal way. And God, that this next few minutes or, God, or hour, Lord God, be life-changing. Be an anchor to our soul so that, Lord God, we can continue to proceed and walk, Lord God, with you in this season we find ourselves in. Lord, be glorified, Lord God. Let your rhema word speak clearly and deeply into our soul. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Ah, 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 amen. Amen. <laughs> Alright, so let me ask you this question. Who has been to a desert before? Raise your hand. Imaginary. <laughs> Raise your hand on the comment section. <laughs> I give uh, if you've been to a desert before, maybe some of our church members are, uh, they came from the Middle East, no? Uh, some of us are, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of uh, miles and miles of desert. Um, and, and I don't know if you like deserts, but um, one experience that I have, the closest that I have, is going to Anabe. You know, we have to Fort Stevens, you know, the sand dunes, that's the closest. Thing that I've ever, you know, experienced with regards to the desert. But let me ask you this question. What is the largest desert in the world? And can you guess? Can you put it in your uh, comments below? Uh, what is the largest desert in the world? You will be surprised at the answer. It's not the Mojave Desert. It's not the Sahara Desert, the most famous desert. You know what? It's the Antarctic Desert. The Antarctic is the largest desert in the world. It's the polar, and some people would say that the second largest desert in the world is the Arctic. The Arctic Polar Desert. And some people would say, but that's not a desert. It's made up of ice, no? Um, well, the reason is because the classification of desert is not according to heat or not according to sand. The classification of a uh, topography or um, what do you call this? 
the, the classification of a land for it to be considered as a desert is based on precipitation. So if the precipitation within a year is less than um, what's that? The information I have. Uh, look at these pictures. This is basically the um, the uh, Antarctic desert. So look at that. It's not just made of ice. It actually has uh, some uh, sand as well and some uh, body of rocks. And just like what I am saying, if the precipitation level within a year is less than 10 inches of rain, uh, so that is considered a desert. Now, you might say, but that's ice. That's made of water. But if you actually go, it's the coldest um, area in the world as well. But if you go there, that ice doesn't melt for years and years and years and years. So there's literally no form of water there. The Antarctic. There's actually four types of deserts. Uh, the subtropical desert, they are the ones that are normally found with, uh, on the equator. So the Middle East deserts, they are the hottest deserts, arid deserts, you know. And then the second one is the semi-arid deserts. They are normally found in the Americas and in the Asia um, area. So they are the ones where there are mountainous, mountain ranges uh, surrounding them as well. And then the coastal deserts, so an example of this is the the sand dunes in Port uh, Stevens. Uh, Australia has coastal deserts and South America as well, Brazil has some uh, coastal deserts. They, they're close to the water but they are very dry. Uh, and then last but not least is what we've said, the polar deserts with, which are the Antarctic and the Arctic deserts. Now, why am I sharing you this information? Another, another uh, trivia by the way, um, another characteristic of a desert is that it can be a place that has more evaporation than precipitation. That's why it's very dry. It has more evaporation than precipitation. It has very low humidity and the moisture, uh, it has, it, it's moisture deficient, amen? So the reason why I'm sharing you this uh, information is because I'll be relating that to how the deserts uh, look like in the Bible or how the Bible explains to us the significance of deserts. Now, why deserts? It's because, again, as I said, the Bible is filled with stories um, that is that has happened, significant events in the Bible that actually took place in deserts. Can you think of the most famous characters in the Bible that you can think of? And for sure, they will have an encounter with God or an event in their life that they are in the desert. God did not just accidentally or incidentally do that. It was an intentional thing. And when we look into the pages of the scriptures, when you look into the Bible, and you find these stories, they reverberate to us. They have relevance to our personal lives and to our present day experiences as well. Amen? So deserts normally are unlike People don't like deserts because they kind of look at it as lifeless and dry or barren. And, and that's justifiable, you know. Uh, we normally attach deserts into a negative connotation. We don't like deserts. It's uncomfortable. It's, uh, you know, it's far away from the conveniences of life. It's remote. 
And even the Bible, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 6, this is the description of Jeremiah about the deserts. It says, They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness? Then wilderness another word for desert. In a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. So very negative connotation. But not all the time, deserts in the Bible is negative. In fact, there are actually more positive things that happen in the desert, or uh, shall I say, there are more positive uh, accomplishments or achievements or results that God uh, did out of the wilderness experience of the people that we see in our scriptures. Uh, and that's what we're going to learn today. You know, uh, yes, it's a negative experience, but God can actually create something positive out of that experience. You with me? You with me so far? Amen? People in the house, say amen. Help me out here. Help me out. <laughs> and even those at home. Uh, hallelujah. Alright. When I was studying this, it's beautiful. It's just really vibrant, uh, the whole thing. And I was like really praying, Lord, they will give justice to this. <laughs> so, help me out. Amen? So, look at this. Um, if, if we're going to look at the deserts as well, deserts can actually be, now let's go to the spiritual aspect of it. Uh, it could be external and it could be in internal. You can experience external deserts, like everything around you, dry and lifeless and all that. But it, it can also be internal. The desert uh, in the Bible is very highly symbolic of the condition of the soul. The condition of the soul. And let me suggest three types of what I call soul deserts. A state of the heart that can look like these deserts. The first one is when the heat turns up. So it's like the, uh, the, the, the hot deserts. You know, it's scorched by the sun. And this is normally, you know, situations in your life where in there's just too much pressure. There's just too much stress. There's just too much, you know, um, like what we are experiencing right now in this pandemic. You know, some people, a lot of people, a lot of pastoral calls I'm having in the past few months, you know, during the lockdown here in Australia. People are stressed. People are having, you know, heated arguments inside their homes. They are hot-headed already. They're shouting at their kids. You know, the husband and the wife are fighting because the stress are building up and the workload and all these things. And maybe also the heat turns up because there are also external factors to that. Someone is in the hospital. Oh, your, your, your relative or your family member has COVID. Or maybe you lost your job. You know, the heat turns up. And that causes your soul to be on fire and somehow be a desert. And it's uncomfortable. And you ask yourself the question, what is... What is happening? Why am I here? What is going on? When is this going to end? Have you heard of that question before? <laughs> Those who are in lockdown, you know, we always ask that question. When is this going to end? 
The second one is this, the second state of the soul that is a desert is when the, the heart turns cold. When the heart turns cold, it's like the Antarctic desert. You know, no plants grow there. It's dead. When the heart turns cold, this might be that your passion for the Lord, and this is specifically your heart turns cold towards God. It's, it's, it's hard to explain, but you would know how it feels like when you have experienced this. By the way, I've experienced all these three in my um, Christian life. And when your heart turns cold, somehow you feel like your passion is no longer there. You know, when before you were very excited to read your Bible and to pray and to come to church and to just be in the presence of God, there's no more thirst, there's no more hunger. And the passion somehow is snuffed away. And somehow you ask the question, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Why can't I feel you anymore? And maybe you ask the question, maybe it's not a question, you just basically say to yourself, I just don't care anymore. I just don't care anymore. Maybe you have, you have failed or you have just turned left or right and just feel far away from God and you just don't remember the grace and the mercy of God anymore. Or maybe the enemy has convinced you that the door is closed and you can't come in and come back anymore. When the heart turns cold, it becomes a desert. Amen? And the third characteristic here is when you're hardly taking in and mostly giving out. The characteristic of a desert is that it receives too little precipitation. Hardly taking in and mostly giving out. And, and in that case, you know, the, the plant tries to grow in the desert. Something is going to die because there's not enough water. And maybe you are in that situation where you feel like it's already a desert soul because there's just too much demand, too many commitments, a lot of people expecting so much from you, and there have so many responsibilities. You're giving away yourself too much to too many people and too many responsibilities. You feel like you've been, uh, you're, you're spread out so thinly, and now you're so tired because there's nothing much that's coming in or you're taking in, you're not drinking, and yet you are pouring. How do you feel that way before? How do you feel, have you felt that way before? You know, and that could be a condition of the soul when there is no more healthy balance. You know, um, um, and sometimes you might think, you know, God, maybe your prayer looks like this, God, I have nothing left to give. Like, I've experienced this numerous times as well. And I myself am learning from this teaching as well. You know, sometimes you come to a point where I don't have any more to give. I'm just too tired. And your soul becomes like that of a desert. So let's learn, hey? We're not just going to let it be that. Amen? God doesn't want you to just leave it at that. You know, God teaches us many precious lessons through many of the Bible characters that we know in the scriptures of what happened to them in their wilderness experience. Because again, you know what? If the Bible characters or the heroes of the faith that you know in the Bible, 
were not able to be exempted or escape the wilderness experience, then what gives us the license to escape that? It will happen to us. But the most important question to answer when it happens to us, what are we going to do with the desert seasons of our lives? Amen? Because again, it can be negative, but God can turn the bad things into good. Amen? The desert can actually be a blessing. In fact, in the Bible, the desert are, are among the most amazing encounters that these people of God had. Had it without, if, if it, without the desert experience, these men and women of God will not be able to fulfill what they have fulfilled. And this is just a wonderful thing to learn. So let's learn what are the deserts in the Bible. Number one, it is a place of calling and preparation. You will always find in the Bible that when God calls a man, when God calls a woman, He calls the man and the woman in the desert and prepares that man and woman of God in there. So look, what ha what's, what's the, the similarity of Abraham, of Jacob, of Joseph, of Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, and the Apostle Paul? They were called in the desert and God prepared them in the desert. If you look at Hebrews 11, all of the heroes of the faith, you know, they were called men and women of faith because they were able to overcome the desert. When they were uh, brought into the desert, called from the desert, they were able to rise up against the heat of that desert, against the scorching test, uh, testings of that desert, and they were, they were able to come out victoriously and fulfill the, uh, the mission and the calling of God. Now, look at this. People who've been successful, or people who've been, who, in Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith, you know, and made a, a man or a woman of faith, they were the ones who went through the desert. If you observe Hebrews 11, you won't find King Saul there. If you observe Hebrews 11, you won't find King Solomon there. Is Solomon not a man of faith? But I'm saying, what I'm saying is this. Normally, people or characters in the Bible who did not go through desert seasons were not able to develop the muscles of faith required to finish strong. Are you with me? Do you feel like you're in a desert season right now? Maybe it's God bringing you there because God is calling you. Or God is preparing you. Now let me uh, also clarify this. Not all desert um, situations of our lives or wilderness experience of our lives, you know, there are only two possibilities. Is it either God brings you there or you brought yourself there. When it's God who brings you there, obviously there is a divine purpose. But there are times also that we bring ourselves to a desert, to a wilderness because of our disobedience, because of our stubbornness, because of our um, you know, um, uh, foolishness. You know? But even then, you know, God's grace follows you and teaches you and re 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 basically uh, 
um, you know, re redeems you back so that, you know, you can turn around. But what I'm saying here, what I'm saying here is that when God brings you to a place of desert and you don't know why, sometimes it's just, why, why is this happening to me? What have I done? Sometimes you blame yourself and then you analyze yourself. What have I done? Did I do something wrong? Did I not please God? Or is this a consequence of a bad decision? Sometimes it's really, it's really not your fault. It's just that God has a plan for you. So sometimes when you are going through the wilderness season of your life, it's difficult, it's dry. Whatever you do, nothing is bearing fruit. You know? Because sometimes God doesn't want you to do something there and just want you to listen to His call. Listen to His voice. And, you know, God is preparing you. You know, when you are preparing, it's not the main event because that's the preparation. You're preparing for the main event. So within a desert season, sometimes we have to be discerning. God, what are you preparing me for? So for example, this pandemic season that we have, some of us are, you know, just really tired of waiting and waiting and waiting. But instead of, be, uh, instead of whinging and whining and complaining and all that, you know, um, talk, why don't you stop and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what you are? What are you calling me to do? What are you preparing me? What season is coming after this season? And if I miss the preparation, hey, listen to me. If you miss the preparation, do you think you will be able to do it? So don't miss Kairos. Don't miss the season. Be discerning. Of what God is trying to do. My friend, this is my encouragement to you. Maybe if you find yourself in a desert season right now, maybe, and I'm not, it's not really a maybe, it's, it's perhaps, it's, it's the same, perhaps it may be the same. Um, for sure, there is a calling and God is preparing you. So take heart, don't lose hope. It's not the end. <laughs> it's not the end. Amen? You with me? The second one is this. The desert is a place of testing and transition. It is a place of testing and transition. Perhaps the most famous wilderness story that we find in the Bible is the Exodus. When the people of God were set free from slavery in the land of Egypt and Moses leading, leading them onwards and after they crossed the, uh, the Red Sea, they are faced with a, a very long many years of wanderings in the desert. Now, it's a wandering in the desert because, um, number one, God is testing them. You'll find this in many, many accounts in the, the, the book of Numbers, you know, the word uh, test of the Israelites or God testing the nation of Israel is, uh, is all over the place. Numbers 11, Numbers 12, Numbers 14. You can read it on your own time. But the desert season is also uh, within that testing period. It's a transition period. It's a transition period. So look at the picture here. God already saved the Israelites from the land of Egypt where they were slaves. So a salvation from slavery. And then the wilderness is a transition towards what? The promised land. That is also a picture of our salvation. So we were redeemed by the Lord. We are saved by grace through Christ. And we are saved from slavery to sin. And now, right now, in this world, while we 
while we are still here, in many instances in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, uh, the authors of those letters are uh, always relating or comparing uh, the experience of the Israelites in the Old Testament to our modern Christian life. We were also saved from slavery to sin, and now we are here in this wilderness called life. The world is a wilderness. This life is a wilderness. And what is our promised land? Eternal life. And while we are here, we will be tested. While we are here, and the testing is not for our, God doesn't want us to fail the test. The test is for our good. The test is for our growth. The test is so that we will know what we have learned so far. Amen? Are you still with me? Amen? You good? Hallelujah. So it's 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 a holding you know um, holding bay. You know sometimes when you arrive you're on a plane and then the, the plane lands and then uh, there's a traffic <laughs> and then you're waiting. So sometimes you know the, the the season of transition is when God is also teaching us how to wait. And waiting is very important in the Bible. Waiting is very important in the Lord. It is in the transition season or in the waiting season of life that God is teaching us or growing our faith. That we are encouraged and we are, you know, being uh, admonished. Trust Him. Sometimes we are so impatient. Now, talking to myself. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be my wedding on October 7th. So... It's all woke and everything, and uh, obviously we've moved it to next year uh, because of the lockdown and the pandemic. So again, it's a waiting season, and the waiting is being prolonged. You know, some of us families are still in the Philippines. We're trying to bring them here in Australia, but everything is just, you know, down. The system is down. This building, our church building, is supposed to be in the uh, in the uh, time period of construction now. No, we were not. No. So we are the waiting season. But while we are waiting, it's not that we are not doing anything. While we are waiting, we will still be serving. While we are waiting, we will still be worshiping. And, you know, we continue to trust that God knows the perfect timing. Amen? God knows better than us. Hallelujah. Are you still with me, church? Amen. Let me read a few verses um, for you here. Look, um, when the Israelites were brought into the wilderness, uh, look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. Unfortunately, they did not pass the test. Some of the generation or some of the people in Israel did not pass the test. In Exodus 14, 1 to 4, it says here, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. So look at this very carefully. The Israelites did not understand the season they are in, did not understand the purpose of the desert, did not understand God's uh, you know, plan and purpose for them in that wilderness. Or they did not really have faith or trust in the Lord at all. After seeing all the miracles that God has, you know, uh, performed 
on their way to the promised land, still they grumble, they complain, they're whinging, they're negative, they are, you know, attacking their leader. All these things, does this sound familiar to you? If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? You know what? Sometimes we can be like that, isn't it? We can actually accuse God of harming us. Why are you harming me, God? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. They are prophesying to themselves a negative prophecy. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt. And if you read further in the account of Exodus 14, this is the part where God's anger rises up. And he just says to Moses, you know what? I'm done with these people. I'm just going to strike them. They'll be all dead and I, they will not see any of the promised land anymore. And this is the part where Moses intercedes in behalf of the people. And what an amazing example Moses is because Moses actually offers himself. He says, you know, me instead of them. And an amazing intercession that we will find in Exodus chapter 14 because Moses says to God, aren't you the God who is merciful, compassionate, you know, uh, and, 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 and um, your compassion lasts for many generations. What would the other nations say if these people will die here in the wilderness? And the amazing reply of God in that um, intercession and prayer that Moses does, the reply of God we find it in verse 19 to 24. In 19 it says, In accordance with your great love, this is Moses speaking, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, now here's the, the gist, Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. So sometimes you can say like, oh, I thought God is a God of patience and, and, and grace and all that. Already ten times that God gave them a chance. It says in verse 23, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised of old to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now that's the verdict of God. But look at verse 24, and this is something that we have to take home. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit. God makes an exception to a man who serves him wholeheartedly, doesn't complain, doesn't wage, just trusts the Lord, and even though maybe he doesn't understand, just keeps moving forward. Have you, you know, I love that movie, Meet the Robinsons, the, the tagline of that movie, just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. You know, whinging, complaining will not change the situation. It will not change the situation. You have to keep moving forward. And pray that the heart will be transformed to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Amen? Yes.
you're with me? <laughs> the third one, the desert season, and connected with uh, number two is, it's a place of discipline and humbling. The desert humbles us. Sometimes the Lord will bring us into the desert to teach us lessons, to train us, to discipline us. Sometimes we are running away from the Lord. Sometimes we don't even, we're not aware that we are veering farther and farther away from the Lord. Our focus are, 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 are being changed. Or maybe we are not aware that there are now idols in the heart. Idols in the heart. One of the sins of the Israelites in the desert when they were wandering is idolatry. And God, you know, in His loving kindness, disciplines His children. Now, don't mistake the word discipline to punishment. They are two different things. Let's read on Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 5. It says here, Remember how the Lord your God is supposed to speaking to the Israelites before they entered the promised land. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Did you see that? To humble. The Lord led you to the wilderness for 40 years to humble and to test. You know what? Sufferings, difficult times, desert seasons, wilderness experience, reveals what's in your heart. It reveals what's in your heart. And in the situation of the Israelites here, their wilderness experience having, you know, uh, you know, uncomfortable, inconvenient, it reveals what's in the heart. It lays bare what is already there. God already knows it, but sometimes we don't. And God needs you to know it. So that you can acknowledge it and ask God to change it. You with me? So to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. And then in verse 3 it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. So God's provision was still there. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Imagine. <laughs> you know, my shoes is already worn out. See that? <laughs> and this is just two years old. This is 40 years. And it is, it is a supernatural work of God as well to protect not just the human, but even his clothing. <laughs> it's a supernatural work. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Imagine that, 40 years walking and walking and walking and walking. It means that supernaturally God did not make their feet hurt. And in spite of the goodness of the Lord that no wound or no swelling or no pain was felt by the feet, they still complain. They still lose. They still are unsatisfied. They are unsatisfied with the manna from heaven. They are unsatisfied with the water from the rock. They are unsatisfied with the quail provided by God. Ungrateful. And un ungrateful. 
just and grateful. And um, you know, it's a very sad thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, continuing with that verse, um, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The discipline of God is not punishment, it is an act of love. Because he knows that if he doesn't discipline his son or his children, they will put themselves in danger. They will be the ones who will hurt themselves. So the desert seasons of our life, if we find ourselves, like what I said earlier, there are only two reasons why you're in the desert. God brought you there or you brought yourself there. Now, if you brought yourself there, God will allow the consequences of that wrong decision or that foolish decision for you to learn. That's a discipline. But God will not abandon you in that desert season. That's the most amazing thing. He will still be with you even if it's your fault that you are there. Sometimes you're in a desert season and then you're angry with God. Why am I here? Oh, you ask yourself why you're there. It's not God's fault. It's God wanting to pull you out there and you learn your lesson as soon as you can so that you don't go back there anymore. Some of us, some of us here will just keep on going back to the same desert again and again and again and again. And God is like a father, Nak, matuto ka na? Hindi ka pa ba natututo? Hindi ka pa ba nasasaktan? So it's the loving God who still wants to redeem us. Sometimes God brings us into a desert season to make us remember what our priority should be. What our priority should be. There's a, uh, a prophet named Haggai. And in Haggai 1 verses 5 to 6, he reminds the people, they, are, they came from a wilderness experience. They were liberated from the wilderness, from the Babylonian captivity. They were brought back to, Jer uh, to Jerusalem. And, you know, when they went back to Jerusalem, at first, you know, they were the first batch of um, uh, exiles or remnants who returned to Jerusalem. But when they went back to Jerusalem, what they did is that they took care of their own house. They built it. They were selfish. They were not helping each other. And most, most, most um, sad of all is that they have ignored the house of God. The temple was in ruins the walls were in ruins, and they took care of their own. And that could be, you know, a justifiable thing. Well, yeah, I should take care of my own. But look at the word of Haggai here, through the, uh, the, the word of God through the prophet Haggai. It says, now this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Before this verse, God says, why do you say it's not time to build the house of God? And yet you live in your houses made of panels and all that. And God says to Haggai, now this is what the Lord says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That sounds to me like a desert. Do you ever feel that? You work and you work and you work and you work and it's not enough. Still unsatisfied. You buy this, you buy this, you buy that, you buy this and still not enough. That song, never enough, never enough. 
You know, all, all the stars, blah, 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 blah. That song, whatever that is, no? That is the song of humanity. Whatever I buy, whatever I get, whatever I do, never enough. That sounds to me like a soul desert. If we don't get our priorities right, you can do whatever you want. You will still be empty. You will still be empty if you don't get the priorities right. If God is not your priority, you can chase every dream that you have and you will still feel empty if God is not there. You with me? I'm not your enemy, I'm your pastor. <laughs> and I have to remind you sometimes that we can be so preoccupied with the demands of this world to the neglect of our own soul. The Bible itself says, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? You know, sometimes God has to take away many things from you and sometimes it will hurt. Sometimes it will hurt. He will take away many things from you so that he can give everything to you. Because if your hands are already so full of junk, stuff, things in this world, how can you receive what God's best is? The best way to know your priorities, check your bank account and your calendar. Your bank account and your calendar. What you spend most on and what you spend time most on. That's your priority. That is your idol. I mean, what are you willing to sacrifice to the altar of Baal? You know, what, what I mean by this, Baal is basically an idol in the ancient times. And What are you willing to sacrifice to that? You know, decency for money? Time versus family. No. What, what is, is there something that's non-negotiable for you? You know what I mean? Oh, Pastor Jeff, you're getting serious. Relax, my friend. <laughs> the desert seasons of our lives, you know, sometimes it feels like that. You plant but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God is trying to wake us up if we're like that. Amen? When God is all you have left, that's the time you will realize that God is enough. Yes. There's a heartbreaking story if you will turn your, the pages of your Bible in the book of Hosea. I love the story of Hosea. When God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute, to be a practical illustration and prophecy against the nation of Israel. When God asked Hosea to marry Gomer, you know, the prostitute, and then to love her, to dignify her, to clothe her, to wash her, to marry her, have children with her. 
Gomer, uh, Hosea loves, loved Gomer so much. And yet after their wedding, after a few days or maybe a few weeks, Gomer goes back to prostitution. Just gives herself to the idols of this world again. And God says to Hosea, go pick her up again from that brothel. She's wounded, she's broken. Restore her dignity, take her home, wash her again, love her again. And then Hosea takes Gomer home again, and then loves her again, washes her again, dignifies her again. And then Gomer goes back to that again, to that life again. And then God says to Hosea again, take her home again. And then God says to Hosea, that's how much I love you. That's how much I love the people of Israel. No matter how many times they turn away from me, I would always restore them. In Hosea chapter 2, look at this. This is beautiful. God says through Hosea, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Talking to, about Israel. I will lead her into the wilderness. You see that? I will lead her into the desert, into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor, Achor means trouble. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. It's a valley of curse. If you will rewind in the story, it's where Achan uh, hid the, the, the treasures from Jericho and, and that was cursed and, and they were defeated in the army. But that story of failure, he says, God can turn it into a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Hey, I want you to feel the heartbeat of God here. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. What am I trying to say here? Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we feel so dry and so empty is because we're worshiping the wrong God. It's because there have been idols there, Baals there in our lives and we have given our life, our time, our energy, all our resources to that false God and that God doesn't satisfy. I don't know what that idol is, if that's money, if that's whatever. But if there's anything that you put before God, that's your idol. And that will make your life a desert. It will make your life a desert. It promises a false hope, a false promise. Oh, take this and you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. And then you take it. What now? You with me? Number four, as we move on, and this is a good thing, you know, it just came from like a, Pastor Jeff, ow, 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 ah. <laughs> no, no, no. The desert or the wilderness is also a place of miracles and provision. This is my, one of my favorites among the five. It's a place of miracles and provision. How many of you here have experienced wilderness, you know, desert seasons of your lives? And you have a very significant testimony that came out of that experience. The testimonies of your lives are born out of those desert seasons. 
out of those wilderness experiences. The most wonderful miracles of God, the most extraordinary supernatural provisions you have experienced came out of drought. When there was barrenness and then God provided. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You know, we recall the Israelites were supernaturally protected. As we said earlier, they were provided. They were preserved in the wilderness. They had all the food that they need. The miracles of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know, when, 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 when you have nothing, you know, most of us here who are in Australia, we're now well-to-do. But most of us, we grew up in poverty. I grew up in poverty. I experienced lack. I experienced, you know, we don't have enough. And those are the times that you really pray and you really ask, God, what are, what? I don't know if we're going to eat tonight because this is the last of our rice, rice bowl. You know, ang term ni Pastor Agligaya, tumutunog na yung lata. Tumutunog na yung lata kasi sayad na eh. Sayad na. We experienced that. We experienced that. I saw my mom doing that and worrying of what we're going to eat tonight because that's going to be our last sinain. Hmm. But in those deserts, out of that lack, out of that barren land, you experience the miracles of God, the provision of God. People who are most grateful to God are people who have experienced that. There is barrenness. People who did not, who were not capable of bearing a child. You know, the, the testimony of our dear sister Charm, it was many times of miscarriage. Why, Lord? Why this desert? Why this wilderness? And all of a sudden, wow, a miracle. The doctor said, you're not able to bear a child anymore. It's ab you're abnormal and all that stuff. But wow, what a miracle. There's now a baby. The miracles of provision. The people who worship God, you know, praise and worship, you sing to the Lord. People who just like give their all, give their best, are the people who've experienced this goodness and kindness of God. The supernatural provisions of the Lord. Lord, I thought I will not eat anymore, but you've provided. And that's, wow, wow. If you will not be amazed by that, wow. And here's the thing. Abundance sometimes makes one ungrateful. Abundance, comfort, convenience makes one ungrateful. You give a gift to a child who has everything, ungrateful. I mean, maybe she will say thank you, but not really thank you because she will just throw it aside. She has four of that already. But you give a gift to a child who has none. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The gratitude is real. And a word of caution here, parents. I'm not a parent yet, but you know, as a pastor, I observe this. You read a lot of books. <laughs> Sometimes, because most parents grew up in poverty, we have the mentality that, you know what, I don't want my children to experience the same sufferings I've experienced when I was a child. And that's a good, noble thing, thought, right? 
but somehow it becomes out of balance to the point that we lavish them so much and spoil them so much and give them overabundance of things that they don't even need. And sometimes when there is difficulty or stress or in school, for example, there is this, you know, you feel so compassionate and sympathetic towards them. And so therefore, they are already crying because they could not answer their assignment in their school. Oh, you know what? I'll just do your assignment for you. You have prevented your child to pass through her wilderness, his wilderness. Your sufferings, your poverty, your wilderness experience made you, you right now. The reason why you are strong right now is because you, God allowed you to pass through that wilderness. You cried a lot, yes, but you learned a lot as well. Now, if we will be so overprotective for our children, we don't want them to have any little bit of suffering, you are raising up a person who is... The worst thing you can do as a parent is to bypass the process of God to a child by being so overprotective. Now, I just had that. I really strongly felt that in my spirit to say it to you, church, because... You know, the children, they will cry. They will suffer. They will, don't overprotect them. I'm not saying don't protect them, but don't overprotect them to the point that they don't even experience suffering when they grow up. They have no muscles of faith. They have no muscles of faith. Teach them, guide them, be there with them, but don't take their burden from them. That is a burden that God allows to give them because God wants to teach them as well. It's not yours, it's theirs. You guide them, you teach them, you instruct them, encourage them, comfort them when they cry, but don't take their wilderness from them. It's God's process. Teach them how to wash the dishes. Teach them how to clean the house. Teach them the responsibilities of the home. They are not uh, Don and Donya in the house. Teach them responsibility. They will complain, they will whinge, but you are teaching them. You are disciplining them. Amen. You're with me, not your enemy. I'm your pastor. (laughs) Because look at this. The reason why I'm saying that is because I'm saying that the desert is a place of miracles and provision. See? If your children will not experience supernatural provision and miracle, how can they be grateful to God? You already took that, eh? You already took that. In their stress or healthy stress, in their difficulty, that is the time when they will learn to call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, help me here. And when God answers, that's their time. That's their moment that they can worship. Lord, thank you. And that's a personal worship because you did not take it away from them. Don't take that opportunity from them. Abundance sometimes leads people to be ungrateful. Amen. Let me run through this. Um, In Genesis 21, 14 to 21, this is the story of Hagar, 
And, um, you know, this is a very touching story. In, in Genesis 21, 14 to 21, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So Hagar was the, uh, the servant maid of, of Sarah, and, and she bore a son to Abraham. And because there was conflict, she, she had to be sent off. Now look at verse 15. It says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy... Remember, they're in the desert. Uh, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. It's already drought. It's, it's desert. They're about to die. There's no more water. And can you imagine the pain of Hagar here? She said, I cannot watch my son die. So she just went away from her son. And look at verse 17, and this is beautiful. God heard, God heard the boy crying. Wow. Who did God hear? The boy. Not Hagar. Not Hagar. The boy. God heard the boy crying. You know what? Parents, God hears your children when, they're cry, when they cry. You think you can take care of your children um, autonomously without God? No. God is the primary, primary carer of your son, of your, of your daughter. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And then the boy uh, grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. With, uh, while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife from him in Egypt. So... Uh, the, the point that I want to say is that in that wilderness is that there is a miracle. There is a miracle and there is a provision. Now, church, anyone here who's hearing my voice, you might be in the desert and you feel like it's already hopeless. You feel like you're in the end of the line. There's no more provision. I lost my job. I don't have any money in the bank. I don't know how am I going to supposed to live and walk pass through this season. You know what? Wait for it. Cry out to God. God is going to provide. God is going to open up a well of water in your desert season. And you will be surprised. You will be surprised. Amen. Amen. I declare this over you. Isaiah 35, 6. It says, For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Amen. Hallelujah. Over your desert season right now, over your difficult situation right now, I declare that over you. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort and her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Woo! Amen. The joy and the gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. God will cause you to sing in your desert. God is not going to let you suffer there and be alone. God is a God of compassion. He will come in your desert season and He will cause you to sing in your desert. Amen?
Ultimately, of course, this talks about Jesus Christ coming into the world, the desert, broken world, and bringing and springing forth this living water that we have talked about a few weeks ago. Finally, and last but not the least, it's a place, the desert is a place of prayer and worship. A place of prayer and worship. One of the most important characters that we know in the Bible is the uh, King David. And you know what? When you find yourself in the desert, in the wilderness, that is the time that you are most prayerful, isn't it? When you have abundance, again, opposite, when you have abundance, when you're, when you're not, no problem, chill, chill, prayerless. But when you find yourself in the desert, in the wilderness, that's the time that you clench your, your hands together and, and you kneel and you call to God and you pray and you draw closer to Him. You know why? God wants you to draw closer to Him. Sometimes He allows the desert soul desert or external deserts of our lives so that He can draw us closer to Himself. The desert seasons of our lives is a place of prayer and it is also a place of worship. Look at David. You know, David, look at the scenario and example of David. David was at his best. Ate Mavi, you can come. Okay. David was always at his best in terms of his relationship with God every time he is in the desert. When were the times that David failed? When he was in the palace. When he is in convenience and in the comfort of the palace, that's the time of David's worst. And that, you know, David was raised up, shaped by the Lord in the wilderness. When King Saul wanted to kill him, threatened by him, he hid in the caves of Adullam together with 40 other men who are discouraged, you know, despised, in debt, all this letter D, that's negative word. And there God raised them up. And David was shaped there. And then he went back to the palace, he failed, and then his son Absalom tries to sabotage his kingship again. He runs again to the wilderness and there he finds his relationship with God restored once again. One of my favorite Psalms of David was what he wrote in the caves of Adullam when he was being chased and wanted to be murdered by the king Saul. He says here, listen very carefully, it says, Psalm 63 verses 1 to 8, You God are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Why the soul desert? It's dry, Lord. It's dry. You are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. How many of us can say the same thing to God? How many of us can say, God, my whole being longs for you? In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I may have everything, day and night. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not satisfying your soul. Games here, online games here, online games there. And you can play all the online games you want. It will remain stagnant and dry within your soul. 
Have you experienced that? You're just chasing at the television and you're just empty. You're being entertained, but empty. Because nothing in this world can satisfy. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy us. There is a vacuum in our hearts that only God can fill. It's a beautiful psalm here that David says, I, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In the morning when you wake up, God, I can think of everything I will do today and nothing will ever satisfy my soul like you do. I live in a land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Then my lips will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now remember, this is David writing these psalms while he is in the desert, in the cave of Adullam, fearing for his life because he's going to be killed. And yet his declaration is this, I will worship you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. Everyone has abandoned me. Everyone has turned their back from me. Uh, I'm, being, I'm being hunted for, for not being, I'm innocent and I'm being hunted. I did not do anything wrong. But Lord, even in this injustice, even in this desert, even in this suffering, Lord, what you will find on my lips is a song. It's a song. It's a song of worship. No matter how hard, no matter how long the wait is, no matter how dry, God, what you will find on my lips is a song for you. A song for you. I remember when my mom passed away. Oh, that was the most difficult time to sing to God. My mind was filled with questions. Why, Lord? Why? And it was the most difficult, dry desert of my life when my mom passed away. And yeah, I remember one time, this verse ministered to me, challenged me. And I heard the Holy Spirit mention to me, Knock, will you sing me a song? And in my room, I was there, I was, God, my mom is dead. How can I sing to you? And there's that incredible power that the Holy Spirit brings, you know, even if your heart is heavy, even if your tongue feels like it's tied, as you continue to fix your eyes on Jesus, on the cross, on what He's done, then it wells up from within. God, this world is full of suffering, but Lord, You have promised a world to come where there is no more tears, no more death, no more sickness. And Lord, because You are true to Your promise and because I know You are good, I will sing. I will sing in my desert. I will sing in my wilderness. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night. <laughs> How intimate is David to God? <laughs> Church, do you think of God through the watches of the night? What are your thoughts in the evening? Or maybe, maybe this, maybe this 
has hostaged our minds. Maybe this has become so much of a distraction that we don't think of God anymore in the watches of the night. But Lord, bring us to our first love. If our hearts have become cold, Lord, bring us to our first love. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. The confidence of David. No matter what threat, no matter what threat comes in my way, I will cling to you because your right hand upholds me. You will never let me go. Now as we close, as we worship, three questions to ask. Sometimes when we are in the desert, we ask these three questions. Number one is, when am I going to get out of this desert? We really want to get out of the desert, isn't it? I'm so lonely. I'm so depressed. I'm so tired. I'm so anxious. When is this going to end? That's a question we ask in the desert. Sometimes we ask, in the second question, we ask, how did I get here? And then the last question is important. What am I supposed to do while in, I'm in this desert? The first question that, that you ask, when, when am I going to get out of here? When is this going to end? And you know what? The answer to that is, only God knows. Only God knows. And the challenge is this. You have to trust the Lord. It doesn't matter when it's going to end. What matters is what are you doing while you are in that desert? I'm not sure when your desert is going to end. I'm not sure. I want that desert to end. I want that sadness to end. You know, as your pastor, when I receive phone calls, pastoral care, I want to end whatever desert you are experiencing. But here's the thing that I always say. I don't know when that is going to end. But one thing I know, God is there with you. One thing I know, He will never leave you in that desert. He will never leave you in that wilderness. And that is what you have to hold on to. You draw near to God. You bury yourself in the Bible, in the Word of God. You put your, your head in, in the middle of your knees and pray. You open your lips and you sing in the desert because God is still there. God is never going to abandon you there. The good news is this. If you find yourself in the desert, the good news is this. It's not the end because that is just a passageway. That is a door of hope. That is a transition to what is to come. Amen. God is your oasis in that desert. God is your oasis in that wilderness. Now, the last question that I'm going to answer, you know, let me just... What am I supposed to do in the desert? We, we said earlier the five things. A place, the desert is a place of calling and preparation. So if it's a place of calling and preparation for you, hear and obey. Hear and obey God. The desert is a place of testing and transition. Then learn how to wait. Learn how to wait. Worship while waiting. The desert place is a place of discipline and humbling. Then therefore, if God points out something in you that needs to be pulled out, an idol that needs to be burnt, 
then repent and change. Turn around. Come back to Him. If the desert is a place of miracles and provision, then trust and believe. If the provision is not yet there, it's on its way. It's on its way. It's on its way. Don't lose heart. And last but not the least, if the desert is a place of prayer and worship, then pray and worship. Sing in the desert. Amen? Would you stand up on your feet, church? Come on. We're going to sing this song. It's a song of declaration. And I pray that, you know, that same hunger that David had, that hunger, all my inmost being desires you, God. I pray that that would be our heart's cry as well, even as we sing to the Lord. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus. Just worship the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, as we travel this life, this wilderness, this world, Lord, we know we have been saved from slavery of sin. Lord, enable us, Lord God, to go through this wilderness with flying colors. And Lord, on the day that you will return and you are coming soon, Lord, make us ready for your return for that promised land of ours we will be ready Lord take the Egypt out of us take the Egypt out of us you did not just want to take us out of Egypt you want to take Egypt out of us do it Lord do it Lord do it Father Amen Amen thank you Jesus Amen, church. <laughs> Amen. Take that to heart. Amen. Would you raise your hands to receive the Father's blessing? I will release you. Oh, may the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, good Father, may He bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you. Make you know that He is with you even in the desert seasons of your life. You will have a song in your lips. Your hearts will be filled with joy. Even if around you it seems dryness, within you it will be streams of living water. Father, thank you for your children and let them know they are blessed and highly favored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. God bless you, church. <laughs> See you next week. Never, 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 ever miss our uh, online camp, our virtual camp. It will be the same time, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. to kick off our General Assembly 1 and then continuing with our programs for the rest of the day. And then keep in touch with our Facebook page to no learn more about our schedules, all right? So God bless you. Have a lovely week. Bye-bye. <laughs> God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.